caregiving is one of the hardest and most humbling experiences for a spouse or child. It's an experience full of emotionally draining challenges. Join me, Wanda Purcell, on my podcast, The Accidental Care Partners, as I bring you information and tips for caregiving from other family care partners and helping professionals. Please join me for the next 20 or so minutes. You'll be glad you did. Hey there. Welcome to the Accidental Care Partners Podcast. Today's episode is number nine, and it is all about caring for someone with dementia. If you're providing care for a loved one with dementia, then this episode is especially for you. Today, I will address specific needs that you may be struggling with, and I will include resources in the show notes for you. Let's start with a definition. This is provided by patientrising.org, and they say this, Dementia is a decline in memory or cognition that impacts one's ability to perform normal functions, such as dressing, walking, banking, driving, and so on. Dementia is not a disease in itself. Dementia is a term describing the effects on memory and thinking that are caused by other diseases, such as Alzheimer's disease, thyroid imbalance, major depression, vitamin deficiencies, other diseases like Lewy body dementia or Parkinson's disease, or the side effects of some medication. Most commonly, dementia gets grouped together under the umbrella of Alzheimer's disease. If you think a loved one has some form of dementia, seek the guidance of your healthcare professional. There are several tools that may be used to assess memory and cognitive functioning. And please don't rely on the unofficial online assessments or tools. Of course, you can use those as a starting point, but then follow up with the healthcare provider for an accurate assessment. Now, the next thing I'm going to share is a bit technical, but I think it's important for you to have a basic understanding of the assessment tools that they use. It's called the Functional Assessment Staging Test, and it is used to assess the degree or stage of the dementia. This is different from a screening tool in that it's used with patients who have already been positively diagnosed with some form of dementia. And I won't bore you with too many details, but you might find it helpful to know that there are seven stages of the disease. Just to give you an example, the last two stages are very specific in what they assess. Stage six and seven have multiple subcategories, and this helps the professionals to know the degree of deterioration in the brain, and this is based on the ability to perform certain tasks. So stage six and its five subcategories is used to assess the ability to perform daily tasks such as putting on clothes, bathing, toileting, urinary incontinence, and fecal incontinence. Then stage seven, which has six subcategories, is used to assess verbal communication such as how many unprompted words are spoken each day. In addition to assessing the ability to walk, sit up, smile, and hold the head up. As a person who has witnessed the heartbreak of dementia within my family five times and having had the privilege of walking the path with many patients and their families, this topic is dear to my heart. I'm going to tell you some stories today that hopefully will help you relate better to your loved one. The first person in my family to show signs of dementia was a great aunt. She was actually the sister of my grandfather. This started happening in the early 1980s when 
the term Alzheimer's was really rarely heard. She lived independently, um, was a widow, until she became paranoid and thought her neighbors were trying to break into her home. This was the first sign the family had of her cognitive decline, but the family had no idea at the time what was coming. My grandfather, who lived down on the old home place, provided land for her to move, and he thought that helping her be near him would keep her safe. And that was accomplished, but unfortunately, the move did not improve her paranoia. And eventually, that one aspect took a toll on family relationships. Now, everybody felt better once they realized she had had dementia, but it took a long time and multiple family members had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's before we realized this was really, in fact, what she had. She never had an official diagnosis of dementia, so it was truly through hindsight that we understood what had happened. Another sign of this aunt's cognitive decline was her creative cooking. She had been a professional candy maker and an all-around great cook. I remember the day that we were visiting my grandparents, and this sweet aunt invited us over for some chocolate pie. I was in my early 20s, and even though I was not yet an accomplished cook, I knew something was terribly wrong with this pie. When I asked her about the recipe, she said, Oh, I had to substitute some things because I haven't been able to get to the grocery store. Was that an understatement? She used Hershey's chocolate syrup with eggs to bake her pie. You can imagine what that tasted like. So it was in the late 1980s that my grandfather was diagnosed. The aunt that we were just talking about had already passed away. So he was diagnosed and then we began to see the similarities in his behaviors and those of his sister. And now we had a name to go with it. My grandfather did not struggle with the paranoia, which was really a gift. But then shortly after my grandfather was diagnosed, another of his sisters was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and they struggled with the disease at the same time. The most arresting difference in her was the fact that she was an elopement risk. And all that means is that she could walk her way out of wherever she was. And she did. She was in excellent physical shape, and she had been a leisure walker for many years. And she also had the propensity to load her car with whatever she could carry. And that would be anything from foodstuffs from the kitchen to the couch cushions to her clothes to her bedding. But she always included her dogs. And she would pack her car, and then she would climb in and start driving. And she was always driving toward home which was 800 miles away. She had no idea how to get back to the homestead, but in her mind, that was where she wanted to go. I'm not sure if just recognizing the familiar landmarks from her childhood or if it was smelling the fresh air, but being in the home place always had a calming effect on her. Both she and my grandfather were sundowners. And in case you're not familiar with that term, This is the time of late afternoon into the evening hours when restless behaviors such as fidgeting and rummaging become more pronounced. You can check out episode 4F for potential fidget busters. But if you're dealing with rummaging behavior, that's something I'm going to tackle in a future episode that will be titled Hard to Handle Behaviors. Of my grandfather's sibling group of five, four of them died from complications of Alzheimer's dementia. And this one sibling group demonstrates the great variety of dementia manifestations. 
You know, the one aunt was an elopement risk. She could walk out of the house and be gone and never remember how to come back to the house. So finding creative ways to lock the doors to keep her safe without creating a fire hazard was quite challenging. I have advised patients in the past to buy the old tiny chain locks or a bolt lock that just slides across the door onto the door facing and put those at the top of the door out of the line of sight. If they're not used to opening that kind of lock, it can keep them safe, but yet it would give the family easy exit in the case of an emergency. The issue of driving is something I will actually be addressing in its own episode, and that's coming up. The fidget busters are mentioned, as I said, in episode 4F, and it's a whole mini series just on that particular thing. Also, check out episode 6 if you want guidance on more safety issues. But my most recent family experience with dementia was with my dad. And somewhat poignantly, the taping of this episode fell on the one-year anniversary of his death. As I've told you in previous episodes, he was in stage 4 mild dementia when my mom died rather quickly from metastatic brain cancer. That means in this stage, he was no longer able to pay bills, cook, or clean. He could still dress himself, and astonishingly, he was still able to drive back and forth to his place of business and to the small grocery store near the house. But mom's death appeared to be a catalyst for his decline. At the time of her death, he was still working part-time. But a short month later, he got up early to get ready for work, and he announced that today was the day he was retiring. It seems mom had kept him motivated to work, and now that she was gone, he had no desire to keep up the grind. And it was interesting to see this turn of events, because even though he could not remember that mom had died, he knew she was not there. So he simply had me place a sign on the door of his business, telling his customers that he was taking time off, and he never went back. One of the biggest learning curves for my sisters and me was to stop telling dad that mom had, in fact, died. He would ask about her, you know, where was she, what was she doing, multiple times every day, very repetitively. And at first, we would remind him that she had died. But as his memory continued to decline, we felt the cold hard truth only served to upset him and seemed to plunge him back into that new raw grief as if it had just happened. We all struggled with telling him fabricated stories about where she was because, like most of us, we were taught to be honest, especially to our parents, and it felt wrong to tell him something that wasn't true. But let me remind you that the mantra of dementia care is meeting him where he is. Rather than trying to pull him back to our reality, we needed to meet him in his reality. He couldn't remember that she had died. So what point was there to continue telling him that? So my preferred story became telling him that mom was shopping at her favorite store and would be home later. And he would always light up and say he hoped she found a good bargain. And then he would forget it. This slight altering of the truth gave him peace of mind and it did not cause harm to him or to others. Now, this option was never utilized by my grandmother when she was caring for my grandfather. She would argue with my grandfather if his mind or his memory got stuck, which it often did. Such is the nature of dementia. Her insistence on accuracy only served to escalate the situation. 
She never did understand that she was causing more frustration for both of them by arguing or insisting on correcting his memory. I gave her a book titled Day to Day, Spiritual Help When Someone You Love Has Alzheimer's. This was written by Cecil Murphy. And the note I included when I gave her the book was still tucked inside when I discovered it on her bookshelf 21 years after I had given it to her. So as I wrote to my grandmother, I will now tell you. This book can help you understand better how your loved one thinks. It may also make you more aware of your needs as you care for him. I hope it will give you strength as you continue on one day at a time. This book lets you see how others have coped with the burden of loving and caring for someone with this illness. I was somewhat amazed to find that this book is still available on Amazon for a mere $2.50. It's written in the format of a daily devotional guide and is broken into seven sections. And simply, it's the first reactions, facing Alzheimer's disease, adapting to Alzheimer's disease, living with it, self-caring, advancing stages, and later decisions. I recently reread this small book, and I found that it is as poignant today as it was 25 years ago. I highly recommend this book for its bare honesty and the hope it can give you as a caregiver of someone with dementia. I want to read a couple of excerpts from this book just to give you an idea of how it goes. And these are things that I think you may be very familiar with, so I think this will resonate to you. This one is titled, That Habit. Someone's knocking at the door, he said, and got up to answer. No one was there. No one was ever there. I kept telling myself I would get used to it, but I didn't. It happened again and again. I took him to the door and opened it. I tried to reason. I argued. He'd say, all right, yet within an hour, he'd say again, someone's knocking. I gritted my teeth. I counted to ten. I walked out of the room. That one habit was driving me crazy. Then I tried a new approach. I ignored the statement. I held him or showed him affection. He still insists someone is at the door, but not quite as often. Then I wondered, is he trying to invite me to come into his world? Does hearing the knock express his need? And then the prayer at the bottom was, God, at times I feel alone, confused, abandoned by everyone. Like him, I also need assurance of your love and your presence. Amen. And the second excerpt I want to share with you is about personal care. He says, She stopped taking baths and wore the same dress for days. Honey, you've already worn that a week, I said. I put it on clean this morning, she replied angrily. Since then, I put her dirty clothing away at night. Before she gets up in the morning, I pick out each item for her to wear. That has helped us avoid the arguments. As she gets worse, I know that her personal care will demand more of me. Yet I don't worry a lot about the future. I concentrate on doing the best I can each day. I want her to look and feel her best. Instead of these being difficult times for us, I try to make them quiet times of togetherness. I hope the care I give her body helps her grasp how much I love her. And the prayer at the bottom of this page says, Heavenly Father, may I be as mindful of her personal needs as you are of mine. Amen. So as you can see, these devotions are written from a very personal perspective. And every one shows insight into the life of someone with dementia. 
I also want to tell you about another experience I had, which was participating in a virtual dementia tour. I don't know if you've heard of these or if you have actually engaged in one, but I strongly suggest that you do. This program was developed by Second Wind Dreams, and I've provided the website in the show notes for you. But it provides a simulated experience to show caregivers what it's like to live with dementia. And even though I was well acquainted with dementia and both personally as a caregiver, but also as a professional, having learned about it and having worked with many families who were struggling with this, this experience brought home the challenges in a new, very personal way. In fact, this is one reason I developed the podcast. It has the same goal in mind, to help you understand the challenges that your loved ones face with each task that is set before them. The things they do that drive you crazy are not things that they are intentionally trying to do. If they could function the way they've always functioned, if their minds work the way it once did, they wouldn't be doing the things that are driving you crazy. Because if they could straighten that out in their mind, they would no longer have dementia. So try to remember that when you lose your patience, you lose your temper. It's just like a child that's learning. They don't make mistakes on purpose. They're trying to master whatever they're learning. With your loved one, they're losing the things that they have learned. And they're trying to hold on to life as they knew it. And they're losing the fight. And at some point, I think they know they're losing. And they're as frustrated as you are. They don't mean to make you angry. But they can see it. And they can hear it. And when you respond that way, it causes them to respond as well. I have put things, I think I've already mentioned there are things in episode three about coping strategies. I encourage you to listen to that if you're struggling with with your anger, with your frustration, just your impatience, whatever it is, find a way to take care of yourself while you're taking care of your loved one. But you can look on the website for Second Wind Dreams, virtual dementia tours in your area. And I truly think you'll be glad you did. There are also some organizations and associations related to dementia that you may already know about, or you may not, but I've listed them in the show notes for you because there's some very helpful information about the causes of dementia. There are other things like Alzheimer's Association, which has several forms of support for caregivers. And then there's the Alzheimer's Foundation of America, which has a toll-free helpline that is staffed by licensed social workers and provides educational materials. And I also want to mention the Center for Disease Control, otherwise known as the CDC, has a program called Reach Out that reports on caregiver issues. So you might find information that's interesting to you there. They have shown that caregivers who participate in support groups have overall improvements in health and depression and feel less burdened and less bitterness towards the care receiver. So I hope that you will look for the support groups in your area. If there's not one, you can always email me at carepartnerspodcast2020 at gmail.com, and I will be happy to be your sounding board. Because I understand that family care partners are at such high risk for stress and health-related issues, I have provided coping strategies and ways to relieve your stress and frustration in Episode 3. And in Episode 6, I've given guidelines for um, common safety issues. So if you haven't heard those already, you might want to check those out. And that's all I have for today. If you found the information to be helpful, please share it with others. 
And check out the show notes for the sources and possible resources related to today's episode. And you can always go to our website, which is the AccidentalCarePartners.com website for additional tips and tools. But if you have questions or comments, please email me at carepartnerspodcast2020 at gmail.com. I'll respond to you as soon as I can. But until next time, always remember, I know that caregiving is hard, so please be kind to yourself. Thanks for listening.